It is Wednesday, February the 8th, 2023. Welcome into episode 75 of Toe on the Slab, pitching with David Cohn. We talk pitching every single week with the five-time World Series champ, the former Cy Young Award winner and Kansas City Chiefs fan, David Cohn. He's getting ready for the Super Bowl. We have uh, James Smythe, our research ace here, along with myself, Justin Shackle. Daniel Allen Rourke, our producer, doing all the hard stuff each and every episode and gentlemen we are getting close here the Super Bowl is coming up but we're less than a week until pitchers and catchers and David you probably felt a lot of fan energy this uh, past weekend you are at some massive Yankees themed event in New Jersey were you getting those vibes what exactly was was going on over in Jersey yeah I mean it was a, a Yankee themed uh, a card show and uh, at the at the dream uh, over in, in the Meadowlands, I'd never been over there to the shopping center there. It's pretty remarkable, but what a turnout. Just uh, pandemonium, great turnout. Yankee fans are unbelievable in their support, especially the players from the past. I got a chance to see guys I haven't seen since since the 90s. Scott Brocious, uh, you know, players uh, from those championship teams, just just remarkable. It was a, it's great to see everybody. Cecil Fielder, Tim Raines, the list goes on and on. Straw and Doc. Uh, that, that uh, you know, I, I kind of, you know, with, with Straw and Doc, I, I get it because we both were Mets and Yankees. So, you know, we, we covered both sides, both sides of town, but it, it's just great to see to see a lot of old friends. You, you, it looked like there was a lot of uh, members of the, the 98 squad there. I mean, this is the 25th anniversary. Did you did you feel like did you guys do a head count at all? Like, did you feel like, hey, almost everyone's here? Pretty much. It was a great turnout. I uh, saw Chuck Knobloch. Haven't seen him in forever. Um, so, yeah, I did kind of feel that way. Uh, the, the years, you know, when you win four out of five and you're lucky enough to be a part of that kind of a, a of a run, that the years kind of run into each other a little bit. And that there were several players that were on you know, multiple championship teams there. But the 98 teams uh, definitely stands out with, without a doubt. That was a, just a remarkable year. And a year that uh, the, the further removed I get from it, the more I appreciate it. In January, some early parts of February, it feels like it's fan fest season for various teams across Major League Baseball. Several teams have some type of spring training warm up, a fan festival. There's a, a ton of names that each team has for their own little thing. It felt like even though this wasn't uh, operated by the Yankees. This was kind of their little fan fest happening last weekend in New Jersey. So uh, from the pictures and everything, we saw a, a really nice turnout. Um, as we look toward this season coming up here, guys, we are going to identify the pitchers who could potentially evolve into aces in 2023. And not just aces with their respective team staff, but like looked at as an ace around the game. So that's something we're going to tackle this episode. We have a, some questions regarding the annual top 10 list of starting pitchers that was recently released by MLB Network. Uh, we're going to talk about Max Fried some more and his situation with the Atlanta Braves. He was recently in the news with arbitration news. Uh, we'll, we'll touch on some comments that Yankees GM Brian Cashman made later on in this episode. But first, it is the opener. David starts us off each and every week. What do you have, Coney? Well, I want to throw some love out West uh, Dodgers organization, the Los Angeles Dodgers doing what I think is just uh, the right thing and a, a really noble thing to honor Fernando Valenzuela. And they're going to retire his number, number 34. And that number's actually been out of circulation since he left the Dodgers um, all those years ago. Um, uh, but it just, the, the Dodgers have always been one, uh, an organization that 
doesn't like to retire numbers unless the player was actually inducted into the Hall of Fame. But this is the exception. I, I really applaud them because when you set the bar that high for you know Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame, then you're not going to honor your history as much as you should. They made that call. They're doing the right thing. Fernando Valenzuela, 1981, Rookie of the Year and Cy Young Award winner. winner. And you talk about just the element of fame, Fernando Mania, what he meant to the uh, to, to Mexico, to the West Coast, uh, the, the, the mania that he created just to this day. We're still talking about it. There was nothing like it with his screwball and his style, his body type, the style of pitching that he was, where he was from. Just a remarkable career, a remarkable story. Much, much credit to the Dodgers for honoring Fernando Valenzuela, rightly so. Even though he isn't in Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame, he deserves this acknowledgement from the Dodgers. So long overdue. His great Dodger career ended in 1990. And like Coney said, the number's been out of circulation ever since. So why not retire the number? I know certain teams do have rules around the Hall of Fame being a requirement. I think because there might be certain players that aren't at the level of a Hall of Fame player, but getting your number retired by an organization is that level of honor to a certain player like that. So I appreciate this move by the Dodgers. And I'll go onto the soapbox now, soapbox now for a similar situation. Someone like Jim Gantner with the Brewers. He spent his whole career there. He's a local guy. He hasn't played for the Brewers since 1992. They had his number out of circulation in the same way, but they haven't retired his number. Why not just do it that if you're not going to give it away to anybody, now you're just in this weird limbo. So give the guys the honor. It's, you know, it's not the Hall of Fame, but for certain players that are so synonymous with a franchise, that's the kind of honor that they deserve. Yeah. Another name that jumps out at me when we're looking at these types of examples, I mean, Ron Santos was, uh, Santo was elected to the hall of fame posthumously. I think like one year after he passed away, but he had his number retired by the Cubs and he was saying, Hey, this is my hall of fame. You know, this is what means uh, the most to me being a cub and all the success he had for that organization, all the memories he brought to that fan base. He was, uh, you know, it took years for him to get into Cooperstown, but he felt uh, so synonymous and so meaningful with with the Chicago Cubs that that's what he said. This is my Hall of Fame when they retired his his number 10. Um, David, 1981, Fernando Valenzuela comes onto the scene, takes the league by a storm. Where are you at? Are you in high school? And as a young pitcher, like what are you thinking as you're watching this as a fan of the game? Yeah, it was actually yeah my senior year of high school. I was drafted by the Royals, signed professionally, and went to the to the minor leagues uh, almost immediately after I graduated that summer. So yes, I was keenly aware of what was going on. We we all were just fascinated with Fernando Valenzuela's screwball, the way that ball moved, the way nobody had seen a pitch move like that before, uh, the way he could turn the ball over and really pronate that left-handed corkscrew spin. I would love to see the spin rate on his screwball with today's technology. I would love to see the the measurements on, on the, his, his stuff and the way he could make the ball dance and move. He was just remarkable to watch his delivery, the charisma of his delivery. He looked at the sky in the middle of his delivery with his windup. Nobody threw the ball like that. Nobody had a delivery like that. Uh, it, that's what made him so special. You just could not take your eyes off of him. Stylistically, pitch movement wise. And then obviously success wise. I mean, the guy, he was a six time all-star and had, was part of two world series championships, 81. They, they won the world series. And then uh, 1988, uh, they won the world series in that year too. So obviously very deserving three top five Cy Youngs as well to go with that one, 
1981, the Cy Young and Rookie of the Year in the same year. Style, charisma, movement. There, there was just really nobody like him. So that, check out that 81 season, folks. Yeah. The Cy and Rookie of the Year in the same season. Just 20 years old, 2480 RA, led the league in innings. And then he helped carry the Dodgers to a championship that year. In the postseason, a 2-2-1 ERA in five starts. And this kid averaged more than eight innings a start. He was he took the world by storm in 81, as you guys pointed out. All right, let's focus on some other kids that are trying to make some names for themselves in the majors today, maybe coming off terrific 2022 campaigns, trying to take it a step further in 2023. We kind of want to identify right now three pitchers from each of us who we think can graduate to ace status in 2023. And I think the definition of an ace is a little subjective around Major League Baseball. We probably all have our own criteria of what an ace is. You could be at the top of your staff, maybe not necessarily be deemed as an ace throughout the game, but um, we're, we're each going to uh, go around and, and pick one pitcher at a time, but we want to give our three pitchers who we think can become aces in 2023 uh where should we start guys who wants to lead us off well it could be a you know it can be a little tricky because you can be an ace but then you could be like um you know christian javier behind uh a couple of aces ahead of you had Very great true. years from from valdez and obviously justin verlander he was the number three pitcher on the houston Astros. he had over 200 strikeouts last year a great postseason so technically you could throw christian christian javier saying you know he's going to elevate himself to the best pitcher on the, on the Astros, even with Fromber Valdez there. Uh, but he's kind of already been an ace anyway. You know, I, uh, you know, I, I'm going to go down to Cincinnati with my first pick. And here's a kid that I've loved since he first came up. He's uh, he had a really solid year last year, but he's a left-handed power guy. Nick Lodolo with Cincinnati, I think is a guy with really good delivery. I love the way the ball comes out of his hand. You know, I mean, I can tell you about his spin rate. I can tell you about his vertical and horizontal movement. Every pitch is measured nowadays, but I just love something about his delivery, something old school about the way the ball comes out of his hand, his presence on the mound. I think he's, he already had a great year last year, 29 games started 3.77 ERA, 189 strikeouts in those 29 games started. I think he takes the next step. He had 160 innings pitched. There's no holding back for him this year. Uh, he's, he's got a chance to really get to get up near 200 innings pitched and 200 strikeouts. So I, I believe he takes that next step. I love that pick. I uh, He was on my list. He was very high on my list. 6'6", um, six, six lefty, slinging it in. He turned 25 on Sunday, and uh, I think he's also primed for a breakout. One thing to watch, his curveball is insane, and it's got a little unusual movement. It's a little more side-to-side -side than the big hook dropping down, but uh, batters hit 136 against it with a 47% K rate, a nasty pitcher who – I agree with Coney. I think he takes a big leap this year. I like that one. James, who do you have? So I'm going to go with George Kirby, the Mariners right-hander, who is 25 years old. He had a 3.39 ERA in 130 innings last year. But if you look at fielding independent pitching, an estimate of ERA based on walks, strikeouts, home runs, he had a 2.99 FIP, which was fifth in the American League among pitchers with at least 130 innings only behind Kevin Gosman, Shohei Otani, Justin Verlander, Shane Bieber. He has remarkable control, especially for a young pitcher. 4% walk rate, that's less than half of the league average, and it was fourth in the American League, and he's got 
that elevated four-seamer. It's And the, the fastball for him was one of the top 10 fastballs in run value, according to StatCast. And he's not blazing it by you, 95. It's still coming in pretty hot, but it's, it's about location and that elevated four-seamer. Very nice. It's pretty good I'm pitching going- in Seattle, right? Yeah. Logan Gilbert, Luis Castillo. And that guy, George Kirby, watch out in Seattle. They're expecting big things this year, and rightly so. And don't forget a guy by the name of Robbie Ray either uh, coming out there with, with yeah. the Mariners. They're, they look to be stacked. Um, I'm going to go to Kansas City. I'm taking Royals starter Brady Singer, uh, 26 years of age. They've had that young core of starting pitchers. Things kind of started to click with Singer in the middle of last year. He had sub three ERAs, I think, in three of the five months that he was pitching there. Uh, always had a terrific slider. Fastball came alive. It's about harnessing, I think, that that changeup, that third pitch. I think he could take another step forward uh, in, in 2023. He had a 2.53 ERA over his last 13 starts. Strikeout machine, 8.8 K per nine. I think Singer takes that next step. Again, a f- former first-round pick. Perfect, ideal pitcher's frame in terms of body type. Um, I think he comes into his own and emerges as uh, an all-star type uh, pitcher for the Royals in 2023. That's my first pick. Great pick. You know, he's got that knack, too, for just getting on a run and 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 mowing through some outs, getting through 12, 15 outs in a hurry, and not like sort of laboring to get through five innings. He's got a, an ability to just go fastball slider and then mix in that changeup, as you said, and just – kind of mow him down and, and get on a run. And that's what he did in the second half of the year. So I love that pick. It's a great pick for the Royals. Yeah, it's a good one. And and uh, to borrow a phrase that you use a lot during the season, Coney attack mode. He's not, he's not trifling around. Yeah. Trying to nibble. All right, David, second go around. Who else do you have? Well, I, I'm going to go out to Anaheim. As a guy I saw pitch quite a bit last year. He had a really solid year in 29 starts and a 3.64 ERA. I think he takes the next step. It's Patrick Sandoval. I think his changeup is much improved last year. He had that presence on the mound that I like to talk about. That looked like, you know, the light bulb went on and he, that confidence really kicked in for him. I think control, he had 63 walks and 163 innings pitch, so I think that's the area of improvement for him to get a little deeper into games, to get, uh, you know, maybe get over 30 starts this year, you know, possibly. He had 29 games started and 163 innings pitch. Pretty good, but I think he can do better than that. I loved his stuff. I love his confidence. I think he's got one of the best change-ups for a left-handed starter in the game, certainly in the American League. So Patrick Sandoval is a guy I think that will step up for Anaheim this year. He got kind of lost in the shuffle because he didn't hit the innings qualifier, 148 and two-thirds innings, just a, just a little bit short. But he had 291 ERA, fantastic season. And I know it was two years ago. It was in July 2021. He had a no-hit bid against the Twins in Minnesota. And he was two out short. I uh, gave up a double to Brent Rooker to break it up. But that was one of the best pitch games I've seen in the last few years. He's got great stuff. James, who's your next pick? Right. So we'll uh, we'll move on. I'm going to go with the Houston Astros pitching factory. And I'm going to go with Hunter Brown, 24-year-old right-hander. Uh, people say he's uh, he as far as uh, his look and his delivery is almost like a Verlander clone. I think we're going to see a lot more of him this year. A uh, little cameo last season. He had a 0.89 ERA in 20 and a third innings, only 15 hits and 22 Ks. 
He has a 97 mile an hour fastball curved slider, three strong pitches. The slider gets a ton of ground balls. And there was a recent uh, good story in Fangraphs talking about how, yes, he gets all the Verlander comps, but he's also, because of those ground balls, he's also a, a bit of a, a Framber Valdez clone too. So Houston in a good spot with their pitching. They lose Verlander to the Mets, but Hunter Brown will slide right into their rotation. I think he's going to do big things this year. Yeah, it's like absurd to think eh, the Astros may not miss a beat, even though they've lost Justin Verlander to free agency. Like, of, of course they're going to miss a beat, but like maybe not. It's 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 wild that you're even going to be able to entertain that question uh, and and that thought of how hey we're good we lost the reigning Young Award winner but oh it's all gravy man no problem so that's where her hat and and Hunter Brown's going to factor into that equation for sure um, I'm going a different route with my next pick guys uh, going to the New York Yankees and I think Luis Severino was on this track before earlier in his career he was pitching at an ace like level 2017 2018 we know that it got hampered with injuries um last year before his contract runs out here he had his option picked up i think from what we saw last year i think and i don't know what to 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 what extent it'll happen this year but i believe the bubble wraps coming off luis severino in 2023 i think he's going to be unleashed again i don't know what type of jump in innings is is realistic he just pitched just over 100 innings last year but i think whatever we see i think 150 innings 170 correct me if i'm wrong if that's you know unrealistic or not but 150 175 innings i think that jump is is feasible i think he's going to put together a full season i think he's going to return to the 2017 2018 version of Luis Severino that we saw before those injuries uh, crept up and installed his career a little bit so if that bubble wrap is taken off Luis Severino this year watch out he's going to be back as an ace in major league baseball it's a safe pick right he was almost a top five starter before his Tommy John surgery so he's done it before the ceilings that we know what his ceiling is he's been there before so the stuff is there upper 90s Change up is better than ever. A slider. So he's a true three pitch pitcher now. So I love that pick. He's a good chance. Luis Severino and his walk year contract year is going to have a huge year for the Yankees. And that, that, that will go a long way to, to say how far the Yankees can go both in the regular season and, and in postseason. One of the, he was top five in the league and pretty much everything in 2017 and 18. So we know what he can do. And now Coney alluded to this is, He's more of a complete pitcher. It's more pitchability with him. He's still got great stuff and he's still electric, but it's he's he's grown as a pitcher, as we saw even just in this first year coming off of the injuries. Yeah, I think Severino is going to take a big jump. I think he's going to firmly establish himself and I'm not taking away anything from Nestor Cortez here, but I think Severino is going to be the guy that establishes himself as the dude behind Cole and Rodon for the Yankees. Uh, David, what do you have next for your, your final pick? Well, there, there's so many, I mean, I'll, I'll mention a couple here before I mention my, my pick, you know, I, you know, McGin McKenzie Gore and Washington's got a real chance to step up and be and lead that staff. Uh, certainly Trichin McKenzie, we've had him on our show here. We love him. He's already kind of an ace anyway, so he's probably going to take that next step. He's kind of been in Shane Bieber's shadow a bit in Cleveland, but not by much. Uh, how about a young Yankee, Ken Waldachuk, too, in Oakland might make, might make a big step up, up there, too, as well. I mean, still on the come, we're not sure. But the guy I'm going to go with is in Baltimore, they need an ace. 
we've had him on our show. It's Grayson Rodriguez. He's the guy we're waiting on. Um, if there is a rookie or a prospect that's ready to come in and take the league by storm and be an ace in your first full year in the big leagues, I think it's Grayson Rodriguez. His stuff is that good. The scouting reports are him on him across the board in terms of demeanor, the way he handles himself and his stuff. Three plus pitches, maybe four plus pitches and, and a power arm to go with it. He was sidelined by some injuries last year, a little bit of a slow start. He would have been in the big leagues last year, but he still got 24 games started and 120 innings in the minor league. So it's not as if he's coming from nowhere. He has a chance to, to, to be their opening day and, and, and be in that rotation really for the entire year for Baltimore. I'm sure they'll, they'll protect him and his innings load, but he still has a chance to emerge as the ace of the red of the Orioles. I like that. Um, we're waiting here. We're waiting, especially with the inactivity this offseason with Baltimore. They're going to be counting on him. There's going to yeah. be a, a little sprinkle of pressure on some of those younger guys because of the improvements that we all expected the Orioles to make. It didn't happen. So we'll see what happens with, with a guy like Grayson Rodriguez. So many guys. Joe Ryan, Minnesota, mm-hmm. Pablo Lopez traded up there as well. I mean, we had a lot of, a lot of choices here in terms of who do you think is going to take the next step? Some of it's need, you know, the need of each individual organization. They need an ace. Some organizations already had aces there, and they have great number two and three starters, as we mentioned with Christian Javier. But uh, Grayson Rodriguez is the guy the Baltimore Orioles are waiting on right now. All right, James, who do you have? There's a good pick. Uh, For my last pick, I'm going to go with Jesus Luzardo, 25-year-old lefty from the Marlins. Uh, Came up with the A's. He had a very promising decrease in his walk rate while his strikeouts went up. That's always the combination you want, right? You want strikeouts up, walks down. His 30% K rate was eighth in the National League among pitchers with 100 innings pitched last year. The K rate soared from 22%, which is below league average, all the way up to 30. And the walk rate ticked down from 12 to 9, which is a little bit above, a little bit worse than league average. But with his stuff, if you can get the walk rate down to average, that's gonna that's plenty for me. So I think he makes a big leap this year uh, through 100 innings and 18 starts with a 3-3-2 ERA and now the 25-year-old lefty, part of a, a good good rotation down in Miami. And, Coney, you you said there were so much uh, so many choices here when we do this little game. And, uh, wow, there were, there were a lot of guys to, to kind of pick through, trying to look at these uh, prospective aces. And uh, the game's in a good spot pitching-wise. You know what I like about this is like all our picks are kind of scattered. They're all over the place based on like our own interpretation of what an ace is. And part of it for me is like, yeah, who's going to, who's going to be that guy that is a, is a breakout star in 2023. Also for me, you got to prove that you can do it consistently. So like Sandy Alcantara after his Cy Young winning season, doing it two years in a row, that makes me believe, all right, you are, one of the game's premier aces. This next guy, my final pick, is a guy who I'm looking to kind of do it again in 2023, and that is the Diamondback Zach Gallon. Uh, made 31 starts last year, finally healthy. I think whenever we saw him on the mound in years past, you saw the brilliance, but he's always been hampered by injuries. Finally is able to have a breakout year, made 31 starts, had a 2.54 ERA, Pitched 184 innings, very close to that 200 innings, uh, you know, mark that we covet there. Led the league in whip. Again, a breakout season in 2022. I think 2023 could be even better. And 
if that happens, I mean, we're looking at a top 10 pitcher to start 2024 guys. Yeah. His strikeout rate went up. He learned how to miss more bats and he's always had exceptional control. He's always been in the strike zone with all of his pitches. So yeah, I agree with that is he took the next step in terms of missing bats. And that's what I look at with an ACE. I mean, the, the number one thing, the stats that you can look at that are predictive in nature or strikeout rate and walk rate. Those are the things that stabilize pretty quick. Those are the things that kind of tell you what kind of a pitcher you are. And, and as far as being predictive in the future, I think strikeout, both hitters and pitchers, strikeout and walk rate, uh, tell, tell a story that uh, is something you can kind of sink your teeth into. And Zach Allen made a huge leap in that, that regard. Yeah, strikeout rates consistently in the high 20s, which is where you like to be. And going back to my Lizardo point, the walk rate jumped down. He was uh, he was over 9% in 2021. He got that under 7% in 2022. And I thought about Gallon, but then I thought, is he is he too good for this exercise? Right. Did he graduate like, to did, did he move yeah, out of the tier? Yeah. I, I right. like I, I like what you said there, Shaq, with um, you know, how we all it's it's such a subjective, open-ended question that we all kind of come at it in different ways. But I love the gallon pick. The subjectiveness is kind of what makes it fun. It also makes uh, our next topic fun to discuss as well. And hey, maybe we see some of these names that we rattled off in the top 10 list of starting pitchers in the game right now. And recently, MLB Network released its top 10 right now list of starting pitchers. Uh, Just to rattle it off really quick, and I'm going in order, uh, Start at number 10, Julio Arias, Jacob deGrom, 9, 8, Zach Wheeler, 7, Max Freed, 6, Shohei Otani, 5, Sandy Alcantara, 4, Max Scherzer, Carlos Rodon was 3rd, Justin Verlander 2nd, coming in at number 1, according to MLB Network, was Corbin Burns of the Brewers. A couple of things that jump out at me. I'm curious what jumps out at you guys, but let's play a little uh, overrated, underrated, or properly rated, and I think... The first name that jumped out to me in his ranking was Sandy Alcantara. So overrated, underrated, or properly rated at number five. What do you guys think? um, This this seems to be a sample size question, right? Are we just talking about one year? Are we talking about two or three years? You know, how how much of a sample size are we talking about? How much the body of work for each one of these starters? So, you know, currently, right now, based on last year only, okay. Sandy Alcantara is probably a little low on that list in my mind. Uh, you know, Jacob deGrom, it's always a, his grade is always incomplete because of, uh, you know, his injury history and, and how much he can stay on the field. So I and certainly you could say last year, Garrett Cole not being on the list is a little bit of an eye opener, but, you know, he got hurt by the home run ball last year. I, I can get that, but he still had 250 strikeouts, 200 innings pitched. I, I'm taking Garrett Cole on my staff. Uh, they keep the ball in the ballpark. He does pitch at Yankee Stadium, which can explain some of that. But uh, I think Sandy Alcantara is probably a little low on that list right there. I'll say underrated. I think five is great, um, but I think he has as much of a claim to the number one spot as any pitcher in baseball. He's a workhorse. He gives you the quality. He gives you the quantity. There's not much else you can ask for out of a, out of an ace like him. I think he's underrated on this list. Same here. I think he's arguably in the top spot. I think at minimum, he has to be among the top three on this list. The body of work says too much. I'll accept any order of Burns, Verlander, Alcantara. If you, you know, you want to make me give a little bit the other way, but I think he is a top three pitcher. Uh, David, 
talked about Jacob DeGrom moments ago. Let's look at him here. Uh, uh, coming in at number nine on this list, overrated, underrated, or properly rated? I'll let James go. I mean, I kind of said my piece. I kind of jumped right. the gun a little bit there, but incomplete is always his grade. Um, I'll go properly rated for this one because, you know, pitch for pitch, inning for inning, he's as good as anyone in baseball, but there is the the quantity aspect and that and that question with him. He's healthy right now, so we got to give him his due there. I think the um, the honorary placement in the list is enough and that if he's towards the bottom of that that grouping in that 7, 8, 9, 10 range, then I think that's fair for now. Now, if he has – the assumption with DeGrom is that he's always hurt and that it, this it's really just the last couple of years that, mm-hmm. that he's had these, these issues. So if he has his – if he bounces back to, to make, you know, 25-plus starts or whatever, then he could be right at number one for this same list in 2024. So I think it's it's a health question, obviously, with him. And I think he's properly rated for now on this on this list. I agree with everything you say. I think, you know, would in terms of like a pitch for pitch list, you know, Jacob DeGrom certainly near the top. But David's point is, is very valuable. If you are uh, on this, you know, if, if you have an incomplete grade right now because you can't post. Well, in my mind, you're not a top 10 pitcher right now. That's the the title of the chart, right? Top 10 right now, I think. He is overrated in this regard. I don't think he belongs on a top 10 list at the moment. As, as soon as he starts uh, piecing together a, a solid chunk where he's posting every fifth day, he's obviously going to be right back on this top 10 list, probably top three. But uh, at the moment right now, no, Jacob DeGrom, in my mind, not on the uh, top 10 list of starting pitchers right now. Uh, let's move to, to Garrett Cole. Not on the list. So is he overrated, underrated, or properly rated? You know, I, I, where would you put him? Do we extend that list to top 15 or top 20? Is he on the next 10? You know, Probably that, put him at 11 or 12 in my book. I guess you would. I mean, uh, he's still a very valuable pitcher, a very durable pitcher. I, the big drop-off for Garrett Cole last year was based on home runs, home runs per fly ball, his ability to keep the ball in the ballpark. As I said before, he does pitch at Yankee Stadium. Yankee Stadium is a good good ballpark for yielding home runs. And, Overall, the, the ballpark rankings are closer to neutral than you'd think in terms of run scoring, but it is still a, a heck of a place to hit home runs. And, and Garrett Cole has been a victim of the, of the long ball, and that we even saw that bother him a little bit last year. He's trying to figure it out. But with all that being said, he still pitched 200 innings. He still had 250 strikeouts. I put him and Sandy Alcantara as two pitchers who are horses, guys you know are going to give you 200 innings, guys you know are going to post up. Uh, to me, that's really valuable uh, to, to be able to do that. And Jacob DeGrom's great, but the value of posting up, as we mentioned before, some of the other guys on that list as well, when you when you look at uh, the top 10 list, uh, how many starts are they going to make? Uh, you know, Max Scherzer, he's been on the uh, the IL a few times, getting up there in age. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a question of, uh, you know, durability. Justin Verlander, great year last year. Is he going to stay healthy and post up and continue? He was coming off a big injury and a Tommy John surgery previously as well. Garrett Cole is in the prime of his career and a true, a true horse of the game. Uh, just keep the ball in the ballpark. Sometimes that that's cyclical home run per fly ball rate can, can have ebbs and flows from year to year. He might've just had an unlucky year in terms of fly balls going over the, going over the fence last year. It gets to the original question you posed when we started this segment, you know, how much are you waiting 
you know, is it just this year? Is it, you know, the last several years? Is it looking forward to project into 2023? It's hard to say, but I think there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, Garrett Cole's bad year is still a three and a half ERA. And if you're saying who's, who's got the best chances of being on this list next season, I'd put Garrett Cole right near the top of the list. I think it is fair to say, well, he did take a little bit of a step back last year. So if he does slide off this list and then go back on, uh, go ahead. Uh, at the same time, though, in the same way that I made the case with DeGrom, he should at least still be on the list until he's really knocked off. I think Cole did deserve a, some, a spot somewhere in the in the lower part of this list just because of the the career that he's in the middle of and the last, you know, maybe not 2022, but, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 as he's on the short list of the top two, three, four, five pitchers in baseball. And I don't know how much one year is going to knock that off. Even if it, if he did take a step back to a, a meager one eleven ERA plus. So he, so last year he was um, merely above average instead of a super ACE uh, like in years past. I actually think it's impressive how well he did in several other categories, despite the 33 home runs allowed. In, in 2022. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how he responds this season. Did he fall into a stretch of bad luck with, with the home run ball, with the fastball that uh, hitters ha- had seemingly a, a, not an easy time, but they were able to read it so well that they could put it over the wall. Um, I think if he is at number 11 or 12 or 13, you know, a top 15 uh, list, I think if he's in there, then in my mind right now, Garrett Cole is properly rated uh, that, that, those 33 home runs, too much to uh, to overlook at the moment. But uh, I, like I said, I think it's really impressive in the other areas that he excelled with on the mound, despite those 33 home runs. I mean, that could eat up a lot of people uh, when they're on the mound and you're giving up that that big of a crooked number with the long ball. But um, I think top 15, I think right there he's properly rated. Um, Max Fried checked in at number seven on this list, and he has put together – a number of solid seasons. He's pitched on the biggest stage in the World Series as well. And we talked about this earlier this offseason, guys. He was going to arbitration with the Braves, pretty much the lone outlier when it comes to the Atlanta Braves and their players agreeing to what's perceived as team-friendly extensions. Has it happened with Max Fried yet? Fried lost his arbitration case with Atlanta. He's going to be paid $13.5 million this season instead of the $15 million that he filed for. David, I'm wondering, is there any chance that the Braves won this arbitration hearing without saying something negative about Max Fried? Zero chance. I can guarantee you that. Uh, you know, I, I think the question becomes, it's not, you know, I, it's not like it once was you know, 20 years ago where things were a little more acrimonious, but nonetheless, you're looking for comps. It's sort of like real estate on the block. What's the house next door sell for? What's the house down the block sell for? That's kind of what arbitration is all about. You're limited in your comps based on his service time and where he fits into the arbitration process. So yeah, it's more of a question of uh, he's more like this pitcher than that pitcher. Uh, that still that still can bring up some negativity because Max Fried obviously very confident in his abilities. He's like, what do you mean? I'm more like that guy than than this guy. You know, whoever the comps are, uh, what whoever those comps are, he should be at the top, the top of the list. You know, he's done it not only in the regular season, he's done it in postseason for for the Braves as well. 
He showed he earned his medal two years ago in my mind when they won the World Series, and he pitched exceptionally well in postseason. So to me, that's a big step. I'm surprised he didn't make it. And my my personal belief is that he he probably should have won that arbitration case. But the question with arbitration is the midpoint between what his figure was and what the Braves figure was. And the arbitrator has to say, you're worth $1 more or $1 less than the midpoint. And therefore, whichever way that goes, then you go automatically to that figure. So I think I, I see that as a hard, hard one, a hard case for the arbitrator, but I would have ruled in his favor. I think he, he deserves to be at the top of the pay scale right now for his service class. He's one of the best pitchers in the league. And Coney, you know this process inside and out. So I was looking forward to hear what you had to say there. Does this mean anything in regards to Freed's long-term future with the Braves? Possibly, if you're trying to read the tea leaves, you would have to think that Alex Anthopoulos has approached uh, Max Freed and his agent about signing him long-term. He fits perfectly in, into that that family of of uh, preemptive strikes in terms of contracts that 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 is become their motto. But maybe he's the guy that says, you know what? No, I I want to maximize my value. Maybe I want to go pitch for the Dodgers one day. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe, I, maybe I've got a, a team out there that will pay me what I think I'm worth. So he might be the guy based on this arbitration case that says, you know, I'm going to play it out. And James has said this many times, the closer you get to free agency, the more incentive you are, the more incentive you have to just push it and say, I'm, I'm close. Let me just keep pushing this. And this is what they really think of me. I'm not going to sign for undervalue here. I'm, I'm going to find out what I'm worth. And the only way you can find out what you're worth in Major League Baseball is to become a free agent and have other teams bid on you. That's what we found out with Aaron Judge. That's what we find out every single year with a free agent. You finally find out what you're truly worth when you have other teams that can bid on you. I'm going to go with uh, no. I don't think this has uh, bigger implications in his long-term future because I think if when he does eventually get to free agency, either the Braves give him the biggest offer and he decides to stay or they don't and he moves on. I think that is the case regardless of what happens in these earlier stages. Uh, it's, a little, it's a little bit of a lazy way to think, but I just think because we've seen it so often with so many players, just the general rule of thumb is you get into free agency and the, they just, you just go with the, with the highest bidder and you know, that's their prerogative. And that's a great way to go about it and maximize your, your earnings and everything. So I just think either, either he'll resign with the Braves uh, for top dollar or he'll move on to someone else who will pay him commensurate with uh, his outstanding status as one of the best pitchers in baseball. Yeah, I'm indifferent in terms of yes or no. I think if the Braves get him, uh, let him get to free agency, he's gone. I think they're going to have to bend a little more with Freed in terms of a potential extension than some of the other players that they've already uh, locked up to long-term deals. I think they recognize that it's all part of the business and not trying to uh, ultimately demonstrate that or cave in, but I think they're going to have to bend a little bit more than some of the other deals that they have given out. So keep an eye on Max Freed, guys. Um, moving on, Carlos Beltran joining the Mets front office as a special advisor to general manager Billy Epler. And when moves like these are made, uh, we, we, we talk about how a baseball mind like Beltran, all-time great player, a potential Hall of Famer down the road, how he can help the current hitters on a specific team. But is there any knowledge a guy like Beltron can offer to pitchers on these teams that he's joining? 
Yes, I think so. I think that's one of the underrated facets of pitcher and hitter relationships. And that's something I learned by talking to guys like Chili Davis over the years in the 90s about what all the times I faced him before we became teammates and then to go through those at bats. What were you thinking about? What was your approach? What did you see? Am I tipping my pitches? Did I have some sort of uh, tendencies that you were looking for? Those are all really valuable things to discuss. And, and a lot of times things get segregated with here's the pitchers hit, hit meeting over here. And here's the hitters meeting over here. Let's keep the hitting coach just on this meeting. Let's keep the pitching coach over here. That integration to me is really important, undervalued, underrated. Carlos Beltran can certainly play to that. I think it's remarkable. The, you know, the guy that was hired by the Mets to be the manager fired over, over the situation now finds his way back to the Mets. Uh, has a chance for redemption. I think he's always wanted to be in the front office or on the field. That's where he belongs. You know, he's wanted that really since he retired in the last part of his, his career, that that's what he was looking forward to. And he, he talked about it even then. So, you know, it, it's, it's what he wants to do. It's where he belongs. That's where his, that's where his love is. Well, I think he will help the Mets in that regard. A, you know, a bilingual guy in that clubhouse, great reputation, great players advocate over the years. He was the, remember Carlos Beltran was the guy who led the charge for a lot of the Latin players to have interpreters in the clubhouse and how important that was and how that was kind of an oversight by a lot of organizations that, that left a lot of the Latin players, you know, prone or susceptible to being misinterpreted or the language barrier or not being understood properly. You know, I, I, I applaud Carlos Beltran for leading that charge. I want to hear what, Somebody has to say, I want to hear what Framber Valdez has to say after he pitched a great game. And sometimes the best way to do that is speak in your own language, speak in Spanish and, and have, have it interpreted for me, you know, rather than him trying to trying to speak a language that he's not comfortable with or might make a mistake or might be misinterpreted. So, you know, Carlos Beltran's the guy who made made that front and center in, in baseball, and I applaud him for it. I think there's a lot that uh, that a great hitter can tell a great pitcher and vice versa. It's it's funny in this game, you know, you're on the same team, but it's like you're playing two different sports because you're on opposite ends of this great battle, the, the pitcher on the mound, the batter in the box and the mind game, the cat and mouse. And yes, Coney, you talk about your conversations with Chili Davis. There's a lot that you could talk to him about and a lot that he could talk to you about. So it's great to hear that. And I guarantee Beltran can help the hitters. He can help the pitchers. He's a brilliant baseball mind. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a shame that um, he was a pleasure to work with at yes. And um, you know, but also I knowing that it was just a matter of time, his time with us was not going to be very long because you hit it on the head, Coney, he belongs in a dugout. He belongs in a big league front office. So this is where he should be, whether, you know, whether it's in Queens or wherever uh, helping big league ball players passing on his knowledge of the game, he was great to work with and just the conversations with him and he, seeing him work with you, David, going back and forth as the pitcher and the hitter, uh, a brilliant, brilliant guy in, in baseball. Yeah. You know, Brian Catchman's paraphrased this in the past, like the, the more amount of, uh, of smart minds that you have in one room, the better. And Carlos Beltran is obviously a, a brilliant baseball mind. So the more he can, uh, the more he's in a, in a room like that, Versus, uh, you know, uh, being on a broadcast team, so to speak, he's given more to the game by being in some team's front office or in the dugout uh, than than 
he'll you know contribute in other areas that's the place for him that's his home and I'm looking forward to seeing how he helps this Mets team who's I mean chalk this up as another terrific free agent addition for the Mets this offseason they're getting a, a really brilliant mind uh in in Carlos Beltran I mentioned Brian Cashman because he's the subject of our Yankees chat here as we uh we close the show and for the second time in a month guys we're seeing some media headlines kind of sensationalize the uh, overall nature of quotes that Brian Cashman made. He appeared on 670 The Score in Chicago back on Saturday. He made some interesting comments about the the Yankees fan base, how they perceive the team's success, how they perceive the team's offseason. But before we get to the actual quotes, the headlines on the title of some of these articles that were, were documenting what Cashman said essentially were like, hey, Brian Cashman says Yankee fans are spoiled. That's the headline that grabbed me to want to click and listen to this interview to read the quotes that he had. And guess what? Brian Cashman did not say Yankee fans were spoiled. So we saw this with the left field topic a few weeks ago that where he said Aaron Hicks is our starting left fielder. No, he said we still have more work to do if we are unable to add someone from the outside. There's going to be a battle in left field. And based on the past, in terms of current in-house options, Aaron Hicks looks like he will be the most equipped to be the starting left fielder on opening day. It's very different from some of these headlines that we're seeing. And we saw it again with this radio appearance uh, in Chicago. So how careful do we have to be uh, going the rest of the way here up until opening day? Are, are we this starved for content before pitchers and catchers that we, we kind of have to uh, put things out of context because the words Yankee fans are spoiled was not uttered out of the mouth of Yankees GM, Brian Cashman. It's an interesting topic. It's, it's hard not to be a little bit sensitive if you're in the Yankees front office or you're in the ownership group of the Yankees and understand, you know, at the end of the day, at the, at the, the end of that Houston series, there were a lot of cat calls and boos coming out of the stadium, even Aaron judge got a little bit of a mild boo in game three or game four of that particular series. Two things can be true at the same time. One is the Yankees have had an incredible run. They haven't had a losing record in forever. They're always in it. Brian Cashman and, and his group deserves a lot of credit, but at the same time, it was Houston again, who knocked him out. And not only did they knock him out, it was a sweep. So yes, I mean, I mean it, there is some frustration. There is, some vitriol, a little bit of vitriol coming from the Yankee fan base, uh, guided towards Cashman in the front office and, and some of the players. And, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to have two things be true at the same time. The disappointment of the fan base, because they were chanting, we won Houston after they beat Cleveland in the first round. We, there, there was there was some unfinished business that was supposed to happen with Houston. Well, guess what? Houston came in and swept you. And that was a huge slap in the face. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's understandable that the fan base is upset about that, and that's recent history. If you look at the long view, they, they really the Yankees have had an incredible run. They're in it every year. They're going to be in it again this year. Uh, if you look at the run score to the run differential since 1998, the Yankees are like 500 runs of better than anybody in the game over that period of time. I mean, uh, take take a chunk of history since 1998 uh, to, to 2022. The Yankees are at the top of the sport in terms of war, team war, pitching, hitting, you name it. Take a category, run differential. The Yankees have dominated for an extended period of time. And with that being said, it was Houston again who knocked them out. 
And, and that's disappointing if you're a Yankee fan. Here are the quotes that that Cashman did give because he, he was asked what grade he'd give the Yankees for the offseason. He said, New York's a tough grading system. The only A you get is if you finish with that trophy in hand. Otherwise, you get an F. There's nothing in between. But that's the New York market. He said, the truth was, in the end, we were four games short of a World Series appearance, but it felt like the way our fan base reacted and the press that we got knocked out in the first round. So you can't really remember sometimes reality versus the perception. And the perception was we didn't do well. The reality was we had a hell of another run at it, but fell short. But that's just the New York market. And to your point, David, the reality was they had a hell of another run at it, but they didn't do well. They didn't perform offensively. They hit 190 in each of their postseason series with Cleveland and Houston. So it's really tough to, to tap dance around that. Like you said, both things can be true here. But uh, to, to, for the original point, like he did not say Yankee fans are spoiled because that's just taking it to an entirely other level. I mean, reading that headline, James, you're like, wow, did, did Brian Cashman go off the deep end here? That didn't happen. But both of those things can be true here. Yeah. Uh, first of all, that that line is, is it doesn't sound like Brian Cashman is always so measured with uh, with how he how he addresses uh, the press and, and fans. But he's he's right in that. This team, they won 99 games. They got beat in a playoff series by a 106 win team. That will happen again in baseball history. It's happened before and it will happen again. Now, how do you close the gap? They've done a pretty good job of closing that gap. The Astros lose Justin Verlander. You add Carlos Rodon. You bring back Aaron Judge. Okay. But as far as the overall uh, tenor of these comments, it's true. It is different in New York. But it's also the same thing people have been saying for decades about this. And going back to George Steinbrenner, you know, championship or bust and that whole mentality. But the fact is, if Coney, you go back to 1998, and that's the, the start of uh, Brian Cashman's tenure as general manager here in New York. Uh, the Yankees have the highest winning percentage in Major League Baseball. They average 95 wins a year for a quarter century. They haven't had a losing season since 1992. 30 straight winning seasons is the second longest run in baseball history behind an earlier iteration of the Yankees um, from 1926 to 64. And Coney, you mentioned the, uh, I pulled up the run differential uh, while we're at it. Uh, they are 880 runs ahead of the Red Sox in second place on that list. When you get into the postseason, it's it sounds tiresome when you always come up short, but you get in a short series, anything can happen. Look at what the Phillies did, knocking off all these teams en route to a World Series when they were the sixth seed in the National League. It wouldn't have even been a playoff team in earlier years. You get in the short series, it's a, it's a bit of a crapshoot. All you could do is punch your ticket every year, and they do that. And if you're, if you're winning, the, the Yankees won 99 games last year. They're a, a good bet to, to win in the mid to high 90s again. And the Astros deserve to be the number one team, uh, ranked team in baseball, so to speak, going into the year. They're the champs. They've been the best for the last few years. Out of any other team, the Yankees have as, as much of a claim to, to number two right now just going into the season as any team. All right, let's end it with this then. How should fans feel about the way the, essentially the architect of the team perceives success? Well, you, you, they're fans for a reason. They're fanatical. So that, you know, sometimes the fans can be a little bit irrational at times. They, they want to see the bottom line. You know, I, I, I mentioned before, and I still, I was there at Yankee stadium 
walking out of the stadium and hearing the chance of we won Houston in the playoffs after they knocked out Cleveland. That was, that was remarkable. And that wasn't just a couple of dozen fans. That was hundreds and hundreds of fans chanting. We want Houston. And that's what you want from your fans. You want that passion. Sometimes that passion gets a little bit irrational at times. That's okay. That's an okay trade-off for that kind of passion that they bring to Yankee stadium. So you take the good with the bad and you just got to own the booze. You got to own it. If you're a, if you're a front office guy, if you're an owner, if you're a player, it's well worth the trade-off because you get that passion every year, year in and year out. They'll be back there again next year. They'll be waiting in the postseason to finally break through. That's what you want. You know, the last thing you want is indifference or somebody doesn't really care or might show up or might not show up. Yankee fans are passionate. And with that passion, yeah, they're going to get a little irrational at times. That's okay. That's a fair trade-off. If you don't like it, win. You know, so, <laughs> you know, it's it's hard because, you know, here I am on, you know, a couple minutes ago, you're talking about how they're always in it and the 95 wins. But at the end of the day, it's a competition. There's 30 teams in the league and only one team gets to lift the big piece of metal at the end of the season. So, yes, in, in a way, any year that you don't win the World Series is a failure. But that's also kind of a a weird way to go through life as a fan because it's just endless disappointment. I mean, they, they, the Yankees have all these championships in, in, you know, my lifetime. And yet there's still so many other years that they didn't win at all. And yet there's still a lot of uh, great enjoyment that I, that I get out, out of this team and out of this game. So it's, it's totally fair for fans to have higher uh, demands of success. And that's, part of life as the New York Yankees. If you're going to hold up your history so much as the Yankees do, and rightfully so, then there's going to be added pressure compared to other teams and you just have to deal with it. But at the same time, I think we all need to understand how hard it is to win once, let alone over and over and over again. And as to the answer to the original question that was posed to, to Brian Cashman that kind of set him down this rabbit hole, what kind of grade would you give for your offseason? Well, look, it's still incomplete up until opening day because there still could be a move made uh, either before spring training or before opening day. Remember, Roger Clemens didn't walk through those spring training doors until mid-February. Same thing with Alex Rodriguez. So there's still plenty of time to make a move and in the, the, the eyes of the fans, elevate that grade for the offseason. So uh, stay tuned is the best that we can tell you right now as far as this Yankees offseason. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. David, really quick, your Super Bowl predictions as your Chiefs take on the Eagles. Yeah, the extra week is going to help Patrick Mahomes a lot with his high high ankle sprain. So that that is right into the Chiefs wheelhouse. He gave a gutsy performance to get to the Super Bowl. I like the Chiefs offense, even though the Eagles have probably the best defense out there right now. They're, they're a remarkable team. It's a great matchup, a really great defense, a great all-around team in the Eagles against, you know, maybe the most prolific, most dynamic offense with Andy Reid leading Patrick Mahomes uh, that we've seen in, in the last 10 years, maybe the last 20 years. So it's a great, great matchup. Chiefs and Eagles, I like Mahomes, though, with an extra week's rest. He should be moving a little bit better. James, what do you have? The Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in football, and they're a little more battle-tested. I think think and I hope it's a great game, and I'm thinking the Chiefs are going to lift the Lombardi Trophy uh, Sunday night. 
I'm going to be boring. I'm going to pick the Chiefs. How much of the game I actually watch, I'm not even sure. Uh, all I'm focused on is the variety of buffalo wings that I'm going to be ordering. It's, it's a great excuse to, to down some buffalo wings on Super Bowl Sunday for sure. Uh, guys, enjoy the game. Best of luck to your Chiefs, David. Again, please subscribe to our YouTube channel so you do not miss a beat with what we're streaming each and every week here on Tone the Slab. For David Cohn, for James Smythe, for our outstanding producer, Dan Work, I'm Justin Shackle. We will talk to you next week on Tone the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media.